This morning from St. Mark, beginning in chapter 13, verse 1. As He came out of the temple, one of His disciples said to Him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. Then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. When he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will this be? And what will be the sign that all these things are about to be accomplished? Then Jesus began to say to them, Beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name and say, I am he, and they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place. But the end is still to come, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. This is the Word of God for the people of God. I went to England a few weeks ago with some Methodists from here at Boston Avenue as well as United Methodists from across the country. We had a few over 80, two busloads of us that went to England to tour around. It was a Wesley Heritage tour looking at the roots of Methodism. We saw lots of things. There were amazing little bits of history we learned about John and Charles Wesley and got to see the home where they grew up and the houses where they lived as adults. We got to go to Oxford University where they attended school There on that campus is Christ Church, which is a beautiful church, chapel, cathedral. It's the place where both John and Charles Wesley were ordained into the priesthood. We also got to see Westminster Abbey and St. Paul's Cathedral. My, what magnificent buildings. Some of the most beautiful churches in all the world. Surely they are. They've paid such attention to architectural detail and the design and the painting and Just so much beauty encapsulated in a single building. It was almost overwhelming to stand there and to walk through those magnificent buildings. But we also went to another place that had a very different feel to it. We also visited Coventry Cathedral. You may have heard the story of this beautiful church in Coventry, England. It was bombed during World War II. The bombs burned the ceiling, burned the inside, caused some of the walls to collapse, blew out the stained glass windows, although you can still see shards in the ruins because the people of Coventry, even though they have rebuilt their cathedral, decided to leave the charred remains of the former building in place as a testimony to the destruction of war and the devastation of what happens when we fail to find reconciliation with each other. Walking through those charred remains, seeing walls collapsed, little pieces of stained glass hanging on in this window here, that window there, was a stark reminder 
of how destructive humans can be toward one another. But the people there have also decided they're committed to reconciliation and peace and they do all kinds of things to continue to work toward that. But I thought of walking through those grounds in England a few weeks ago when I was reading this text where Jesus is talking about the toppling of stones, how the stones are going to be thrown down. You can see it when you walk through there. You can sense the pain and hurt that happened in that place because they have left those remains there. The disciples become really enamored with the big buildings in Jerusalem. Probably bigger buildings than they had ever seen before. But Jesus is not so taken by them. Jesus cautions them to not be too impressed by big buildings because He reminds them they are temporary. It is a good reminder to us all, I think, We love our building. It's helped and healed so many. It's brought consolation and inspiration to thousands and upon thousands of people over the years. But Jesus cautions us to not get overly focused on the building. But to rather remember the power behind the building. Remember the Spirit behind the building. The inspiration. It is so easy for humans to get caught up in our everyday experiences and get so focused on the physical and the material that sometimes we miss the eternal. The disciples seem to be in this story caught in that place. Because even though Jesus cautions them while they're in Jerusalem, they hike out of town, go across the valley, sit down on the hill, and they're looking back toward Jerusalem and they're still wanting to know more about what's going to happen to the buildings. In verse 4, they say to Jesus, Tell us, when will this be? And what will be the sign that all these things are about to be accomplished? Jesus gives them two warnings in His response. First, He says again, Don't be so focused on the buildings because that will lead you astray. But then secondly, he says, also beware of anyone who claims to be the Christ or to speak for the Christ, especially if they're trying to prove it to you through physical events. I've entitled the sermon series for this month, Back to the Basics. Because so many of these stories we're reading from Mark touch on these basic or these core teachings of Jesus in terms of what it means to be a follower of Christ. It's interesting. He gives the positive side, but he also gives the warnings. On the warning side, he said three things. If we go back to the very beginning of this month, I put them in your outline. First, he says, do not be led astray by the wrong priorities. Remember what's most important? What the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. If you're focused on something else, Jesus is saying, beware. 
because it will lead you astray. He also said last week, do not be led astray by self-seeking or self-important behavior, even if it's dressed up in religious garb. That if we're focused on ourself, if we're trying to feed our own ego, if we're looking for some kind of admiration and special privileges, we're on the wrong path. And then today, he says, beware. Do not be led astray by focusing on the physical realm alone. Because if you're focused there, you're going to miss the bigger picture. You're going to miss what God is doing in the world. So he says, beware. Beware that no one leads you astray. It's in verse 5. He says, oh, bad things are going to happen. Wars and rumors of war are going to happen. Earthquakes and famines are going to happen. We know this is true in our own lives. Wildfires happen. Airplanes crash. People starve to death still today in the world. We know that bad things can happen. But Jesus says, even seeing that, do not be alarmed. Alarm is not your best response, he says. Rather, he suggests that we reframe the terrible things that we experience as birth pangs or the birthing of something new that is coming. He suggests we reframe these terrible events as something that is painful now while still believing something better is coming. And what new thing does he say is coming? He says new life. Right in both his image of birthing, birth pangs, as well as his life story in terms of resurrection, what Jesus continues to point to, even in the midst of desperate and terrible circumstances, is that God is at work. And God can bring good out of evil. And God can bring new life even out of destruction. The good news, Jesus tells us, is that God can do this. God can and does bring new life out of painful experiences. Maybe you've had that experience. Or maybe you're going through one of those experiences and trying to decide if you can trust God in the midst of of whatever is going on. Oh, this made me think back to when I was a young adult. My dad was diagnosed with cancer. They tried lots of different treatments. But before very long, the diagnosis was terminal. They had done all they could do with medical science at the time. He was going to die. And it was terrible. It was a terrible way for him to die. It was terrible to have to live through that. It was terrible at the age of 24 to know that my father was gone. 
And he had been a wonderful dad. We were close. He was a warm and caring and attentive father. And I didn't really realize until he was gone how much my life was built upon his shoulders. It was terrible. It's terrible living without him all these years. So I can easily agree with Jesus. Bad things happen to us throughout our lives. Terrible things strike often when we least expect it. But during that experience, I went with him to a healing support group. Everyone there had been diagnosed with the terminal cancer. They all had a support person with them. And the leaders of the group said, we know how terrible this is to get that news. It is a devastating diagnosis when you hear it. And we know that you don't know what to do. And you don't know how to handle it. But they gave them an image to use as a way to help them process what was happening to them. They suggested to the group that none of us there knew how to be born. That you were born, but you didn't know how to be born, and yet you survived birth. And they said, now you've been diagnosed with cancer, and you don't know how to survive cancer. But you can survive it. Then they invited them to trust the power that helped them to be born to help them in the midst of their fight against cancer. This healing support group was not a Christian group per se, but they came about as close as they could to saying, count on God, look to God in the midst of this devastating diagnosis, and let God help you. Walk through these next days, weeks, months, or years, whatever is in front of you. It parallels the counsel that Jesus gives today in our text that even though we acknowledge the terrible things happening in our lives, with God's help, we can look beyond that. and We can see a, bitter pic a bigger picture. And trust that there can be new life that comes after this. Last week, as we celebrated our 125th anniversary here at Boston Avenue, I reminded us of some of the controversy that had happened back in the 1920s when they were thinking about whether or not to stay at 5th in Boston or move someplace else in town to build a new church. I told you that they purchased property over at 8th and Cincinnati to begin with, but then they got in quite a debate about whether or not that was the right place to be when others began to suggest that this corner was better. They finally worked through that and decided to move here. I think I also mentioned to you that they hired architects and had plans rendered, and then when they got them, they didn't like them, and they fired the architects and <clears throat> decided to go in a whole new direction, see if they could find a different design that somehow would inspire them more. Dr. Rice was the pastor at the time. I told you last week 
that he had said to that building committee and the people here at Boston Avenue that he wanted a design that even if he was standing outside in the rain, that still this building would speak to him. And if he came inside, that it would impel him to worship whether he was ready to or not. But there's something else that he said to the people who were working on the design about the future designs. He said to them that he wasn't sure what it was going to look like. He wasn't sure what they should build. And he said, I'm not even sure that I'll know it when I see it on paper but I believe that we must have an assurance that we have it before we begin. I think he was saying that even as they looked at the plans and looked at the drawings and worked on what they could design together to finally build, that all that time, as they were working through the physical elements of building a new church, not knowing for sure what is to come, but trusting that God can bring us through would be the key to their success. Trusting that God would show them the way, even in the midst of the controversy and the discussion and the debate and the divisiveness, that God was at work through them. Sometimes it's hard for us to believe that God is at work through us. But Jesus reminds us that even though bad things are happening, that's no reason to conclude that God is not at work. That is no reason to conclude that you cannot trust God. That as people of faith, our best response is not alarm, but a belief and a trust, an assurance that God is with us and God is at work in our lives and that God can lead us through whatever we're struggling with. I've got a prayer book that I've used for years and years. It's a weekly reading of lectionary passages. So there's a Scripture passage outlined for every day of the week. There's a hymn every week to read through or sing if you're musical. Then there's some prayers and some other writings from a whole variety of Christian leaders from around the world and across the centuries. It's the primary book I use as my devotional reading on any given morning when I'm getting up early and imitating that schedule of John Wesley of having your prayer time early in the morning and looking at Scripture and letting it speak to you, saying some prayers, listening for God to respond, reading some other writings from Christians who have come before you. I read one this week that I had read before. I know I've read it before because I had a check mark next to it, but I did not remember it whatsoever. Is written by a Roman Catholic priest from Bolivia. He wrote it in 1980. If you don't know the history of Bolivia, the background helps a little bit in terms of what he wrote. During the 1970s, they had a series of military coups of one group trying to seize power over another one. They finally 
found someone who said we should have elections and set up the elections. And then between 1978 and 1982, they had nine different presidents. Because they would elect one and then there would be a military coup. Then they would elect another one and back and forth. During the rise of all that, a number of paramilitary groups emerged. Violence was rampant. This Roman Catholic priest, working amongst his people, wrote this in 1980, shortly before he was assassinated by one of the paramilitary groups. But I think it strikes at the heart of the gospel passage we have read today. I want to read you a few sentences of what he wrote. He said, There are Christians who have hysterical reactions, as if the world would have slipped out of God's hands. They act violently, as if they were risking everything. But we believe in history. The world is not a roll of the dice going toward chaos. A new world has begun to happen since Christ has risen. Jesus Christ. We rejoice in your definitive triumph, he writes. With our bodies still in the breach and our souls in tension, we cry out our first hurrah till eternity unfolds itself. Your sorrow has passed. Your enemies have failed. You are a definitive smile for humankind. I love that line. Jesus Christ, You are a definitive smile for humankind. We march behind You on the road to the future. You are with us and You are our immortality. Beyond the crushing of our bones now has begun the eternal Alleluia. From the thousand openings of our wounded bodies and souls, there arises now a triumphal song. So teach us to give voice to Your new life throughout all the world. Take away the sadness from our faces. We are not in a game of chance, you have the last word. Amen.